Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. We're broadcasting to you today across about 60 countries on Voice America Business Channel. And uh, we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And we're broadcasting from a crisp Los Angeles. Los Angeles spends most of its life at about 85 to 90 degrees. But today it's about somewhere around 60 and it's a bit chilly. There's been a never-ending barrage of complaints about the discrepancy between the salaries paid to female employees and also about the percentage of women on boards and in senior positions, and this is particularly so in Silicon Valley. So all these trendy modern companies are falling behind uh, when it comes to salaries and representation of women. Well, at last, someone's made a giant step in the right direction. Salesforce.com has made $3 million in salary adjustments to employees this year to make sure that men and women are paid equally. They looked at every single one of their female employees' salaries and adjusted them against all of their male employees' salaries. Mark Benioff at the Fortune Global Forum on Tuesday said, we pay women the same as we pay men. The Salesforce process, it started in April. It's pretty innovative in Silicon Valley where male employees by far outnumber females in technical positions. At Salesforce, 77% of the company's tech workers worldwide are male and they've got more than 17,000 employees. It's the first time that analysts have heard of a large company adjusting salaries and being so transparent about it. Salesforce really are walking the talk. For a company like Salesforce to step up and put their money where their mouth is, well, it's very important because it really sets a precedent. Benioff says your customers, your employers, sorry, your employees, your partners in your community are all critical stakeholders in your business. And if you can manage that stakeholder value, that is going to give you the highest shareholder return. And I think um, evidence shows that that's 100% spot on. Salesforce also pushed forward initiatives to have females make up at least one third of its executive management meetings and customer events. Women's promotions have also increased at the company with 32% of female employees promoted in the 12-month period through the end of July. These are great initiatives, and Benioff is brave to take on equal pay. Let's hope that other tech companies will follow suit, similar to the cascade of firms that now post diversity data. Now, Besides his own giving, which is very substantial, Benioff runs Salesforce with a 1-1-1 philosophy, annually donating 1% of its equity, 
1% of its employee time and 1% of its product to non-profits in communities where its employees live and work. Conclusion, Benioff is one hell of a good guy and I hope the others follow. Now, progressive revolutionary thinking's always attracted sceptics and criticism. If you go back to the development of cars and trains and automobiles and, I guess, aeroplanes, where the critics, along with the conservative media, decried these new inventions as being mere whims of fantasy. Fantasy. When Elon Musk proposed the idea of the Hyperloop a few years ago and suggested it could revolutionise travel based on today's technology, it created extreme controversy with sceptics citing everything from the cost of land in California to the G-forces that would impact passengers being accelerated from zero to a thousand miles an hour in a short span of time. I must admit, that's pretty quick. It's fair fair few G-forces on you. Actually, the Hyperloop should be cheered as the continuation of a long tradition of American innovation and an innovation that pushes the boundaries of human experience. Now, Musk's Hyperloop sets to take its first steps towards reality as the test version of the, tra- of the track nears completion. If the Hyperloop works, the question is how big of a disruptive force would it be for the airline industry? And, and it'll be just as disrupting with air freight and trucking. If you think about it, most, pro- most people probably think about how Hyperloop's going to affect train travel or car travel. Hyperloop's going to be able to compete with planes and airlines by a combination of price of tickets and travel time. Now, price in turn is going to be substantially impacted by energy costs for transporting passengers. And I saw a presentation recently by the CEO of Hyperloop at, at Metal who said that the running cost will be so low that they hope to make the tickets free and to offset the costs by other means. So the Hyperloop um, capsule, for those who haven't seen it, represents something like the pneumatic tubes that were once found at banks in department stores, you know, where you put your money in and you go and whip up to the floor, four stores above or four stories above. One of the reasons that some previously new transportation ideas, like, say, the hovercraft, have never gotten off the ground is their massive energy requirements. So. Just how much energy is going to be needed to shoot a Hyperloop canister along the tube? The proposal from Musk originally envisioned a constant energy source in the form of a compressor. In that case, a 436-horsepower capsule motor would be required. For comparison, train locomotives have 4,000 horsepower, while a typical car often has at least 150 horsepower. Overall, the Hyperloop would use perhaps as little as 27 kilowatts of power per passenger. 
So essentially, the math suggests that a Hyperloop tube could move passengers for as little as a few dollars each. So if the Hyperloop works, what's it going to do to the airline industry? Let's just think about Los Angeles to San Francisco for a moment. Let's say the airfare is 200 bucks and the flight time is an hour 15. Add to the hour 15, security, arriving an hour before your flight, lines, sitting on the tarmac. It's more like three hours, or maybe more. Now, if the Hyperloop performs as expected, it will take one-fifth of the time of an aeroplane and a fraction of the cost. And the capsules cost a hell of a lot less than a, than a plane. So me, I'm rooting for the Hyperloop. I think it's brilliant. Now, the one thing in this business that really annoys me is the number of people who bitch and complain about how hard it is to be successful and if how it was if it wasn't for the change in weather or the drop in the dollar or some obscure piece of legislation or whatever they would be hugely successful or if the wife hadn't run off with a pool man or something there's always a reason why people that aren't successful aren't successful Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, maybe I'm not successful because I have no talent, they blame somebody else. A couple of weeks ago, I gave examples of people who started with zero and overcame the odds to become very successful just through very hard work and amazing perseverance. Now, they're the stories that I want to hear about. So if you're going to write me stories, send me ones about those sorts of successes, not the whingy, whiny, woe is me stories. I am not the least bit interested. Don't want Chang and his wife, Jin Suk, moved to American from Korea in 1981. When they first arrived, Doe Won was forced to work three jobs at the same time to support them. He worked as a janitor a gas station attendant, and in a coffee shop. Eventually, just three years later, from all his hard work, they were able to open their first clothing store. That one store, from a guy who started with absolutely nothing, had been in the country three years, was forever 21, which pioneered first fashion, and is now a multinational 480-store empire that generates $3 billion a year. It's still a family business, with a couple's daughter, Linda and Esther, helping to run the company. Forever 21 is what America is all about. America is the land of opportunity, but it doesn't just fall in your lap. You have to get off your ass and earn it. Doan gives hope to people who come here with almost nothing. The fact that immigrants can come to America, like Doan did, can create a Forever 21 is a testament to that. A simple Korean migrant with nothing but a dream. So all you whingers, shut it. <laughs> 
Snapchat is generating 6 billion video views on its app every day, tripling since May. The new 6 billion figure means that Snapchat is rapidly closing the gap with Facebook, which is attracting 8 billion daily video views. What makes Snapchat's number so impressive is that it attracts around 100 million daily active users to its app compared to Facebook's 1 billion daily active users. So Facebook's got 10 times more daily active users, and yet the number of views generated is almost the same. That is unbelievable growth. Take into that further, that uh, Facebook also includes desktop and mobile, while Snapchat is mobile only. Snapchat's video growth has been staggering. It uh, suggests that Snapchat users are highly engaged with the content on the app. And online video is the fastest growing segment in the digital advertising sector. The online video ad market in the US is projected to grow 34% this year to $7.7 billion. And Snapchat is on track to generate a hundred million this year. Last month it rolled out a new advertising product called Sponsored Lenses, giving marketers a chance to put their brands alongside people's selfies. Earlier in October it opened up the ability for brands to buy sponsored channels within its Discover content section. So Snapchat Guys, you are looking really good. Now, if you're not a member yet of the American Institute for Sales Marketing Management, which is the premier organization for business in the US, and if you're serious about improving your skill level, your status, and your network, being able to join an amazing list of advisors you really should join today today right now go on to AISMM and join I'm the honorary president and I guarantee that we'll look after you now apart from being able to put the initials AISMM after your name you receive a great plaque for your foyer or boardroom there's an incredible amount of the latest information, complete business audits. Examine your company from the front door to the back door. All of your social media, everything. Webinars, advisory board like no other on the planet. So if you're not a member, go to AISMM.us and join now. My guest today is Gordon Gottgooch who is a veteran entrepreneur. He's experienced the startup ecosystem from all aspects as an employee, a consultant, a founder. He's worked for nine different startups and has founded three of his own. As a founder, he successfully raised millions of dollars funding for his ventures. And as we know, that is hard. His experience runs the gamut from Director of Knowledge Management of a Fortune 100 financial services company 
to Executive Vice President of Marketing for Patriot Partners Portfolio Companies, as well as Director of Program Management and Client Partner for New Media Companies, all with managed accounts and projects valued between $2.5 million and $10 million. In his spare time, Gordon's an accomplished photographer. His work has been published and seen in galleries. Recently, Gordon's added IMDB recognised producer for his work on several web series and commercials. Gordon not only is very smart, he's one hell of a good guy, and his new project is a ripper. And we're going to tell you about it in just a few minutes when I come back with Gordon after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs, people that are involved in a range of disciplines that can assist us all to be more effective in business. We like to talk to people who think outside the box and have got something to share with all of us to help us become more successful in this rapidly paced technology era. What I try to do in these interviews is find out what makes these successful people tick so we can learn from their experience and from the things that make them successful. We want to try and learn how we can overcome the challenges that confront Every startup business, it doesn't matter where you are in the world or what the startup is, we all face exactly the same challenges. So it's important that we learn from the experiences of successful mentors and other entrepreneurs. Gordon Gooch is a veteran entrepreneur with a comprehensive background in financial services, web development and online marketing. His uh, passion is building and launching revenue generating solutions for some of the largest problems facing online users today. I think everybody's passion is um, trying to build and launch revenue-generating solutions, but it's bloody hard to do. A hell of a lot of people try, and as we know, 97% of all startups fail. But Gordon's experienced the startup ecosystem in a whole range of aspects. He's been an employee, he's been a consultant, he's been a founder, 
He's worked in nine different startups. He's founded three of his own. And uh, as a founder, he successfully raised funding for his ventures. And as we, those of us who have trod the boards and knocked on doors looking for funding, it is challenging and very time consuming. Gordon's experience runs the gamut from Director of Knowledge Management of Fortune 100 Financial Services Company to EVP of Marketing for Patriarch Partners Portfolio Companies, as well as Director of Program Management and Client Partner for New Media Companies, all with managed accounts and projects valued between 2.5 million and 10 million. I tend to see a a pattern when I look at, um, I talk to people and look at startups that uh, succeed, more often than not, people seem to have some level of financial background. And I think, uh, you know, we, we all know that 97% of startups that fail, fail not because most of them don't have a great product. It's fail because the entrepreneurs have a lack of management and marketing expertise. Gordon's been interviewed on CNN, MSNBC, WTTG, as well as being featured in a number of magazines. In his spare time, he's an accomplished photographer. His work has both been published, most notably the iconic photo of Nouriel Roubini, and seen in gallery openings. Recently, Gordon has added IMDB, recognised producer to his... um, resume for his work on several web series and commercials so he's a pretty talented guy you know, most, pe- <laughs> most people who most people who can add up numbers can't act for shit but this guy is good at numbers and he's obviously um a good producer so uh, hi gordon welcome to the bob pritchard radio show thank you bob thank you for having me so you're pretty accomplished well i, I appreciate you saying that i try <laughs> Good. Um, so you're you're accomplished in getting startups off the ground and making them successful, and you're obviously one hell of a photographer. And now you're a producer. Which is more fun, and which gives you the most satisfaction? Well, I would never admit this to anybody but you, Bob. But probably photography because uh, the creative nature and it's kind of a relaxing thing. Yeah. You know. Producer for a for a web series, it sounds all glamorous, but basically it's exactly what you talked about. It's just dealing with numbers and money and things like that. I don't get to sure. sit there and yell direction, uh, you know, action to anybody or or do anything fun. I just basically find the money. <laughs> so you're good at finding money. I try to. It's not always easy, and it, it really depends on the product that you're trying to sell. Yeah. So is the target for raising funds the the investor that you target for raising funds for say um a web series or commercial is that is that a totally different type of um investor than somebody that you would get for a startup or are they the same animal it doesn't matter what they invest in as long as it's got a good risk reward ratio they are the same animal. It's, uh, you know, a person, obviously, an accredited investor, yep. um, has a, at least a million dollars of spare change to play with, yep. and they're interested in, they're interested in the game. They're yep. interested in taking the risk, um, you know, as you, you talk about the risk and the reward, um, but in my opinion, 
sometimes they're more interested in the risk. They have disposable income. Um, they see something fun and that it's interesting to them, and they're willing to roll the dice. Yeah, how important is it that um, in the movie game, for example, how important is it that they um, get a good return on their money or get their name up as executive producer? Look at me. I know famous. <laughs> I think that's true. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the more scripted comedies, not the, not documentaries or, or anything like that that's more cerebral, mm. um, it's more interesting in, in being able to go to the, the country club or the local bar and talk to people about the fact that, oh, I just invested in this movie. It's going to be great. You should check it out. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that there's an ego um, part to it. Um, but at the same time, you know, when a movie does hit, the return ratio on many movies and scripted series is actually pretty good. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. All right, so let's get back to startups. Okay. What is Zundi? And for anybody listening that's and has trouble with my accent, you know, I've been living in Los Angeles now for 27 years, but I still, for some reason, sound like an Aussie. Zundi is Z-O-O-N-D-Y. Correct. So, Gordon, what is it? Uh, officially, uh, Zundi is an executive marketplace for peer-to-peer -peer business expertise. And that all sounds good, but the way I like to think of it, it's Amazon.com for business experts. So, essentially, what we did is we created a marketplace for people with any level of expertise, usually executive expertise, to come and sell what they know to individuals and companies that need it. Very simple. Okay, so um, is that for full-time engagement or for part-time engagement or projects or how does, how does that work or all of the you, above? Well, it usually works out the way that we've seen people use Zundi is for uh, part-time work or more specifically project-based. So imagine that you have these hired guns, you have a company, and you have a particular challenge that you're dealing with, and you don't know where to go to find the experts that are going to solve that problem for you. Okay. You can come to Zundi, you can do a search, you'll see you know, thousands of different, uh, uh, different profiles of people that, that meet the criteria that you have, and they can solve your problem. And that's basically it in a nutshell. Now, all of these people are going to have different levels of experience. Usually, like I said, executive, we usually aim at the top executives. But they're going to have different price points and different experience levels. So, therefore, you know, you're going to make a decision on, just like you would if you go to Amazon.com, what you can afford, what the ratings are for those people, what the reviews are for those people. And you make a purchase decision just like you would if you're buying a new stereo. Okay, so, so somebody like me, for example, I've got a reasonable track record. So I would go on to Zundi and I would list, tell them who I am, where I live, what I've done, and stipulate a price for my services. Is that how it works? And one more critical piece, exactly what you're willing to deliver. So a lot of micro-consulting uh, companies or even consulting companies will tell you what their expert is and how much he costs per hour, but they won't tell you what that person is going to deliver to you in the end. So okay. one of the primary focuses of the Zundi profile, so Bob, if you were there, you'd, yes, you'd fill out all of that information. You'd tell us how much you're going to charge, and there's a variety of different ways that you can charge on Zundi. 
but more importantly, you would tell the potential buyer exactly what you're going to deliver for the dollars that they're going to spend to hire you. Right. Well, we all know that, you know, I'm a consultant, and we all know that consultants basically are full of shit. You know, they, they, they promise everything, and in most cases, deliver little. I mean, I get calls all the time from people who have got projects, and they hired a couple of consultants, or they've hired... and you know, the delivery's mm-hmm. been very poor. Um, how do you, so, so a corporation that comes on or a startup or whatever it is, comes on to Zundi and looks up and picks somebody, um, mm-hmm. is there any vetting process that says this person's actually who they say they are and they actually have got results? Absolutely. So, so the first thing is, yes, there's a vetting process that goes on. But right. even after the fact, even if I had the world's greatest LinkedIn resume, and just like you said, there's plenty of consultants that you would hire, and they deliver, they talk a lot, but they deliver very little. Right. The benefit of Zundi is that each of these people, as they come through, um, you know, you're going to go back and you're going to rate and you're going to review that person, just like you would, like I said, a stereo. Right. And the next person that comes along is going to see that rating and that review. So, so that's going to have an impact on future deliverability. So if I, as the consultant, know that, then I'm going to be much more interested in stepping up to the plate and delivering what I promised. Sure. In addition, um, all of the funds that are transacted in Zundi are actually held by Zundi. So if you had a horrible experience, let's say you hired me, and even though I'm an expert, for whatever reason, I didn't deliver what I promised to you, Bob, you could easily go to Zundi, and we would actually act as a referee. And if I did not produce or deliver what I said, then obviously the money would not transfer to me. And so there's a certain level of protection that we offer by having everybody operate within this marketplace. That's an excellent idea. I'm all for that. Now, you mentioned uh, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the connection? Where does LinkedIn fit um, with Zundi? So you, mm-hmm. are you going by the LinkedIn um, resume, are you? Is that... Well, definitely. I mean, you know, LinkedIn is where the, the executives and the business people live. So yeah, we absolutely. find most of our... Um, uh, users come from LinkedIn. Obviously, you can go and you can sign up for Zundi using your LinkedIn profile. Um, but that's basically where we find initially a lot of our um, potential users. And then they're going out essentially to their companies or to other individuals that they know and inviting them to come into Zundi. So that's the way that it works. What's the balance between the number of experts that list on um, on Zundi and the number of projects that are looking for people, is there this surfeit, huge surfeit of of experts? There is right now. I mean, part of the reason Zundi actually hasn't launched. We're still in private beta. Okay. Um, and so our goal right now is traction. It's to build up those experts in the system so that when we launch, you know, I always equate it to a grocery store. We've got to fill the shelves before we can open the doors and let people in, and that's the process that we're in right now. Okay. How far away are you from actually launching? We're probably four months from launching. We need, in my estimate, about another 10,000 experts in our system, and we'll be ready to go. And that'll bring the number of experts up to? 
about 50,000. 50,000 experts. Gee, that's a lot of people to compete with <laughs> for work, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I keep hearing this term, future of work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they talk about it in um, Forbes and Fast Company and, and others. How does Zundi align with the concept of future of work? Well, I think it lines very well, actually. The, the whole concept of future of work is that the hiring process, think of HR and, and the way that individuals go and, and look for work. They fill out a resume, you know, they apply. There could be thousands of people that apply for the same job. Uh, the HR uh, people try to sift through that huge number of individuals and finally just get fed up and pick a couple of people to come in and interview. Yep. So it's very inefficient. So the future of work is about disrupting the employment process and the HR process. And so Zoomby fits very well into that because we're trying to disrupt that ourselves. We are trying to become a new marketplace for people to sell their expertise just like you would if you were applying for a job. Imagine that your profile and all of your ratings and yep. your reviews are sitting on Zoomby and someone that needs you for a project could go search on a particular topic and see a huge list of people that meet that criteria and hire directly from there. Right. Um, and I guess, I guess in the future, work is going to be different in that, well, it's changed already, hasn't it, from the old days where people would go and get a job and stay there for 40 years and then retire with a gold watch or something. Um, It's totally different these days in that more and more people are being hired as consultants and for for short-term projects, and it's probably a very wise way to go. It's true. I mean, I think that you'll see a lot of statistics that talk about, you know, the huge number of people in the workforce that are doing consulting jobs. But the thing that's the most interesting to me is that a lot of upper-level executives are electing not to take full-time jobs with companies. They want to control their time a little bit better, and they're finding that they're actually making more money and having a more enjoyable experience by moving from company to company and project to project. Now, that doesn't mean that some of these projects don't last months. It's, we're not talking sure. like a day job. Sure. But, but the whole concept of going and sitting in a cubicle or a, you know, even a corner office and sitting there for years and doing the same job is not appealing to people anymore. And so that's part of the future of work, too. There's an underlying current of change, which is I don't want to sit in the same for the next, you know, like you said, 20 years and get the gold watch. I want to experience things and I want to control my time. Yeah, I think one other thing that, well, in, in my experience, I was, um, I was marketing director for a very well-known multi-billionaire and, mm-hmm. uh, for a number of years and my time was his time. Didn't matter whether it was three o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, Sunday, whether you had a holiday planned for six months if they wanted you to go to Mesopotamia and they wanted you to go now, you had to go. You, mm-hmm. you know, you, t- you didn't own any of your own time. They pay you well for that, but I think a lot of these um, major corporations these days do really put the asset on their um, on their employees. So th- I get this is one way to get around that. No, I agree, and I think that. Uh you know, the, the corporations are also learning of the benefits of having, you know, essentially contract workers in certain levels where they're getting a, a fresh perspective. 
new expertise. They're spending about the same amount that they would for one guy that sat in the chair for, you know, 365 days, so to speak. And they're getting better results by being able to create what we call pop-up teams. Yeah. Uh, identify a problem, go find the experts, have them come in for three months, deal with it, and disband. And that's the way that they're finding to be most efficient. I, I think it, it, it does make a huge amount of sense because um, if you're – let's go back to marketing for a minute. If you're a marketing director of a big company, um, then over time you get uh, conditioned to only submit things that you know the company's going to – go for um Mm -hmm. i've worked as a consultant for a bunch of companies and the people that are marketing directors all say to you you know i've proposed that 20 times and it's always been knocked back and you come in and propose it and it's been accepted and i think it is because there's a different you know you've got a different perception uh, of of the issues you you do bring a fresh eyes to it where if you're in in a company and you've been um putting up proposals and they get knocked back and you put up proposals and they get knocked back, you end up just putting up proposals you know are going to get accepted. Exactly right. Which stops companies from um, from growing. Um, so why are you any different than hundreds of other recruitment services on the web? Well, I think we're very different than, than recruitment services. Um, you know, a lot of the technology in the last couple of years has been devoted to making the recruiter's job easier by sure. helping them deal with all the big data. Yep. We're turning everything on its head. We're trying to make it easier for the person that's actually looking for employment or a contract position for a short term. So that has a, a huge impact on the way that we are um, are different. Um, in addition, more of a marketplace where people, you know, essentially, Bob, if you put your profile on there, we would know how much you want and what your deliverables are. And you could do a comparison shopping, essentially, between if I was offering the same services between the two of us and make a decision that was right for you. So I think that there's a huge difference in the, essentially the way that people have been looking for jobs and hiring for jobs for really since the late 1800s to now. Um, so I think that that's why Zundi is different. It's disrupting this whole market. We're turning it on its its head. We're doing things different. We're basically trying to treat people as as a set of experts that can come together and solve a problem in the most efficient way. Right. So you're really working backwards. Yeah, you? You, that's a good way. Yeah, I agree yeah, with you. You're working backwards. Um, so what are the, the current challenges that you face, What are, apart from trying to get another 10,000 um, experts on the on the list. What sure. um, what are the current challenges you face? Well, as we talked about disrupting, you know, we're we're trying to change part of an industry and the way that people think. So it's always a challenge when you do that. I mean, you know, if we were coming up with another game app for the for yep. the you know the app store, that's one thing. But here we're trying to re-educate people on the way that they might find employment, you know, make money, control their time, and in a marketplace setting. So I think one of our greatest challenges is essentially getting the word out, uh, telling people that this is an option for them, and to give them a place to come and try to sell their expertise and see what happens. So how are you going about that? Are you are you using um going out with social media to HR people or are you going out to um, are you using traditional um, 
advertising or how, how are you actually spreading that word? It's actually, well, it's a mix of everything. So you're absolutely right. We do have, you know, social media that's rolling along. We have uh, partnerships with some large companies that are talking into their employees. One of them is backgroundchecks.com is very kind to work with Zundi. We're very lucky to have them on board. Um, and they're telling everybody that use background, uh, backgroundchecks.com to come and check out Zundi. So that's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing that, you know, and this probably helps out a lot of other entrepreneurs that are out there, we do a lot of influencer marketing. So we reach out to the people that we think are going to have the greatest impact on Zundi and try to educate them about why we're different, why we're good, and why people can succeed with Zundi. Yeah, well, that's, that's a smart way to go. So where are you going to be in five years' time? Are you in this for the long haul? Or are you in this to um, get Salesforce or someone to um, turn around and offer you so much money that you can lie on the beach and be fanned by beautiful women feeding you grapes? Well, I, I had an answer for that, but actually your description may have you know, clouded my judgment that that was a good – I'm not sure exactly what to answer now. The answer is um, we're in it for the long haul. We right. – um, you know, I look at this as a very interesting way to help people. And if we disrupt this industry, this whole employment paradigm, this whole HR paradigm, and make it easier for people to find employment, to find the right people to work with, to make companies more efficient, then I think that that's a, a noble thing to do. I think that's going to have huge impact on our economy. And, um, yeah, I would like to see Zundi around a lot more than five years from now. But to, to get back to your question, in five years, if uh, we had the predominantly largest, uh, you know, employment force on the, at least in the nation, and people were relying on their Zundi rating and reviews above and beyond their resume, then I would feel like we've, we've met a level of success. Most, well, maybe not most, but a hell of a lot of people that have startups feel that they need to... Um, bail out, if you like, somewhere around the three-year mark or maybe a bit further because there are 25,000 people out there all trying to build a better mousetrap right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, once you get established, you tend to be less innovative and less able to pivot than you can when when you're young. Um, See, you're not concerned about somebody coming up with a better mousetrap or do you think that your um, structure is flexible enough to um, be able to anticipate changes as they come? Well, I'm going to, I'm actually going to rely on, on my experience. So I've certainly worked with another enough companies and had enough of my own that either did well or even crashed and burned. And each of those is a learning experience. Now, I know from working in the past that marketplaces are brutal and take years in order to get to enough traction and therefore reach a tipping point. So, you know, three years isn't really a good measure for a a company like uh, like Zundi. Um, But you're right. I mean, we have to be vigilant. We have to rely on our past experiences. And if somebody comes up with a better mousetrap, then we need to learn from that and, you know, essentially innovate on our own. So, you know, we always have new functionality that's coming out. We're listening to our users, give us feedback on what makes their lives easier. 
we're listening to HR professionals and trying to give them, excuse me, trying to give them a a free place to go and post jobs, um, that sort of thing. So we're trying to work with everybody in order to make this transition to a new way of thinking about employment and hiring uh, as easy as possible. So you've raised enough funds to carry you through the next four months till launch, or are you still trying to raise funds, or where we're, are you at? We're always in the process of raising <laughs> yeah. funds. I mean, that's that's something you really can't stop doing, especially for a marketplace. And uh, we're actually working with a company called Fundable, we're going to test out some uh, crowdfunded equity. Um, so we're working on that right now for them to create our profile, and we're going to go and publish that and, and or promote that and, and see how our profile on, on Fundable does. Right. Okay, well, that's a great idea. So yeah. what's, the, what's the key? Most I speak to a hell of a lot of startups. And the mm-hmm. biggest problem that most of them have is raising funds. So what, in your view, what's the key to getting um, investors across the line for a startup? Persistence. I Persistence. mean, it's, it is, you're, you're going to hear, I mean, you've told your, your listeners this before, they're going to hear a billion no's before they hear a yes. You yeah. just keep going. So as long as you can, that's, that's part of the, the struggle for any entrepreneur. It's part of the struggle with any founder, and you get a founder burnout because they're just tired of knocking on doors. Now, I mean, at the same time, there are a lot of different venues that have popped up recently. Crowdfunding is one of them yep. where it makes sense to go and try because if you develop momentum – and prove that, you know, another individual essentially will invest in your idea, your company, then others will follow suit. So it's always a domino effect. If you can get that one guy to invest with you, more will follow. And that's, you know, the hard secret to to being an entrepreneur. What's the most important part of your pitch? Is it the idea? Is it the quality of your management? Is it the um, the way the management reflects the industry that you're going into? Is it is it a fantastic whoop de doo business plan? Is it a great seven slide um, investment deck? What's the what's the most important elements of um, of raising money? Story and team. So if you've got a great story about, you know, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and why it makes sense, what makes it personal for you, what creates enthusiasm for you or even fear, then that is something that investors will pay attention to rather than just another slide deck business plan with 20 slides that everyone's seen a thousand times and and the ubiquitous hockey stick revenue yeah. <laughs> slide. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, of course, you need the team. So you've got to have people that have experience, that have done this before, um, that bring something to the table as opposed to that, you know, they were your high school buddy. And, um, you know, and you go from there. Those are the two things that I find um, will turn most investors. There was a, um, an article in um, Harvard Business Review saying that um, forecasts are an absolute waste of time to put in a, an investment deck because at best they're a guess. They're always inflated and they studied. I don't can't remember how many um, forecasted revenues they they looked at, but a lot, and they found that none of them had any 
relation to reality once the company launched. So how do you how do you justify your um, your financial projections? Um, we don't. I mean, like you said, uh, we have estimates based on what, you know, our competitors are doing and, and we benchmark off of that. Right. I do try to add some humor into our slide decks and I literally, when I have a slide that says revenue and I just have a picture of a hockey stick and then we just <laughs> move on because they know that it's, you know, that there's a certain amount of risk. So me trying to mitigate it by saying that we are going to be in the, you know, own 99% of the market, we're going to be making $100 billion next week, it's all a waste of time. So, yes, if you've got competitors, do benchmarks off competitors, show where your market segment is yes. and how you're going to compete against them. And I think those are the best revenues. Everybody that's intelligent and has done this before knows that it's a risk. If they don't think it's a risk, then they shouldn't be in this business. Sure, sure. Gordon, thanks very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. I really appreciate it. That was good. That's interesting. Great. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. It's it's launching a startup is a is very difficult. There are so many aspects to it, and and most uh, entrepreneurs really aren't um, capable of of handling the management side. You know, they're great at developing things. It seems to me that having a financial background is a huge asset when you're mm-hmm. um, launching a startup. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, you've got to have some fundamentals and understand that both you, your company, and your investors need a return on all of that investment. Otherwise, you're basically just playing around or you're part of the Playboy Club and, you know, you can afford just to waste everybody's time. (laughs) Right. Okay. Now, to find out more about Zundi, go to Zundi.com. That's Z-O-O-N-D-Y. Zundi.com. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back with you after this short break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. We thank you for listening. As I said last week, there's an app for everything these days. There's millions of them. And it appears that there is a sucker born every minute. A lot of people are up in arms and outraged over a new app that launches today called Rumbler. R-U-M-B-L-R. The app's website claims that it's a Tinder for fighting that can be used to set up fist fights with other users. People are outraged and Both technology and mainstream journalists have written articles about Rumbler, many saying it's a step too far and some being outraged and even going as far as to say that it is indicative of a decline in our society. But let me tell you a big secret. There's one problem. 
The app doesn't exist. Rumbler was created by developer Jack Kim and marketing executive Matt Henderson as a viral stunt. The pairs claimed that Apple had rejected their app from the App Store, all part of the hoax. The screenshots that have been published by media outlets over the past few days and claim to be real are simply mock-ups of the fake app. Insiders are amazed that people had fallen for the stunt. The Rumbler hoaxes even managed to fool major publications into thinking that this ridiculous app actually exists. In an interview with the New York Daily News, they claim to have raised relatively substantial funding from private American investors. The app's gone on to be covered by publications including the New York Daily News, The Independent, The Daily Mail, Vice, Metro, The Daily Mirror, Digital Spy, Complex, The Daily Star, and a whole host of others. The site's co-founders have even given video interviews to small TV stations in the US, which of course have gone viral. What a bloody great stunt. Fantastic. And to suck in all those media that, I don't know, whatever happened to journalism? (laughs) And it's not even April 1. Not even April the 1st. And they're falling for this stuff. There's no question that it's difficult to come up with great ideas. Lots of people try. But here are a few tricks brilliant innovators, innovators use to come up with those big ideas. You know, creativity starts with having a method for finding ideas. It's not the brightest who perform the best, but it's people who have figured out how to really prosper in an idea-rich society. So here are a few suggestions. Firstly, get to know your competition. Sam Walton's curiosity is one reason Walmart became one of the world's largest corporations. He was constantly on the road visiting stores and figuring out everything he could about how all the competitors worked. In other words, get to know exactly how your competition works so you can improve on them. Secondly, listen to your customers. Jim Coke founder of Samuel Adams Boston Lager, came up with the idea for selling beer while talking to a stranger in a bar. Not a bad place to come up with the idea for beer. The man was drinking a Heineken. He said he liked the imported beer, even though it tasted skunky. Then Coke realised there was a market for a high-end beer with a fresh taste. Coke said, ideas come from real-world stimulation. Thirdly, Take long walks. Big thinkers are often brisk walkers. Charles Dickens, Virginia Woolf and Aristotle all made long walks part of their idea-generating process. Now, Stanford researchers have confirmed that participants who go for walks saw an 81% increase in tests measuring divergent thinking, a thought process associated with creativity and lots of ideas. So going for a walk, even around the office, appears to give you fresh perspective. Fourthly, invite diverse opinions. 
1937, Walt Disney was eating alone in a restaurant in Los Angeles when he saw Leopold Stokowski, the British conductor, sitting next to him. Disney asked Stokowski what he thought of a musical piece he had just acquired the rights to. This led to a groundbreaking collaboration, Fantasia, the first long-form fusion of classical music and animation. The takeaway, meet with people you wouldn't otherwise interact with and seek out possible collaborations. Five, keep careful track of your ideas and refer back to them when you're stuck. Ever have a great idea and then forget it by the time you either get to your desk or you wake up in the morning? Thomas Edison would write his thoughts down in one of his 2,500 notebooks. So if an idea didn't have an, didn't have an immediate application or it simply failed, he'd save it for later. Then if he got blocked on an idea, he'd refer back to his former thoughts. And this approach resulted in the principle for the unsuccessful undersea telegraph cable being incorporated into the design of a telephone transmitter. This technique instantly became the industry standard. Six, set aside time to pursue big ideas. 3M instituted 15% time for employees to pursue their own projects long before Google reinvented it. In 1974, a 3M scientist, Art Fry, used his 15% time to find a way to put an adhesive onto the back of a square of paper, creating post-it notes. More than a 1,000 post-it products are now sold in 150 countries. Seven, pay attention to news and culture. Great ideas are usually the result of a combination of conversations, research, experience, and time. West Side Story was originally written as a story revolving around Catholics and Jews. The idea came back to life when the writer saw a newspaper headline about gang fights between Californians and Mexicans in Los Angeles. Number eight, schedule downtime. LinkedIn CEO Jeff Weiner schedules time periods kept clear of meetings. There's not much time for strategic thinking when your day's heavily scheduled. Strategic thinking, if done properly, requires uninterrupted focus, questioning assumptions, synthesizing all the data, the information and the knowledge that's incessantly coming your way, connecting the dots, bouncing off ideas with colleagues and iterating through multiple scenarios. In other words, it takes time. So make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter and the radio show summary, which is sent out to about 16,000 business executives in, I think, 63 countries every month. Subscribe simply by going on to bobpritchard.com. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope, if you're not living on the edge, then you're just taking up too much space. Get out of the road. Let somebody get through who wants to succeed because it's much easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the possible. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.